Well, as Ben mentioned, it's my last Sunday. Um, it's been great for me, um, a great learning experience. Um, and today I want to finish with be strengthened by joy. And the true or the fact is that our joy and value are not in our life performances, but in the grace poured in us by Jesus Christ. So today we're going to look at three things that I think it, they're important for us to let go so that we can enjoy the grace that we might enjoy a life that it's only strengthened, that it's only supported, that it's only resting in Jesus. So if you go with me to Philippians 3, we are going to uh, go through the whole chapter and we are going to pull some truth, some principles of the chapter as we study God's word. So if you want to uh, uh, pray with me before we go into scripture. God, thank you for the opportunity to study your word, for the chance to rejoice in what you have done for us, in us, and through us. God, that... Your word will be heard this morning. Open my heart. Open our hearts. To be joyful. To depend on you. To rest in you. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for your word. In your name we pray, amen. So Philippi was a great city. Um, around 42 D.C., Augustus, the first emperor of Rome, um, had some battles, conquered some cities, countries in Rome, and Philippi was at the center of it to the point that they created monuments, um, auditoriums, buildings, and it was called the Small Rome. Even to the point that one of the commentators was saying that the people from uh, Philippi, which is Greece, they started thinking like, oh, we're Romans. We are people from Rome. They lost their identity thinking that now that we're involved in this small Rome where Augustus, after his, you know, rising, they thought that they were bigger than anybody else. Actually, if you go to Acts 16, 12, 
it reads about, it's talking about the conversion of Lydia, but it says uh, in verse 12, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. So Philippi was a very important city and the Greeks from there, they're like, oh no, no, we're not Greeks, we're Romans. I was thinking about an analogy, something to bring. I couldn't do it with an engine. So I started thinking and, you know, like I found people like, people come from Puerto Rico. I'm going to talk about Puerto Rican, so I'm a Puerto Rican, I can. So you find people that move from Puerto Rico here, they go back in two years, and all of a sudden they start talking like, yeah, what's tell you, know, like, what do you mean? How do you lose your identity? You've been in, in the States for two years, and now you're not Puerto Rican? You think you're American? So it's kind of the thing. It's like you lose your, you know, like, where are you from, right? So that's what's going on here in Philippi. And to these Christians, these are the people that Paul is writing in Philippi. So don't lose that context because he helps us understand what the situations are in Philippi, in the church. And although the letter of Philippians has kind of divisions, like they're separate letters. People think that they're separate letters addressing different situations. We're going to be in chapter 3 where Paul is addressing specifically people thinking that their accomplishments, the things that they are part of are bigger and that's the source of their joy. And Paul is writing to the Christians in Philippi telling them, forget about all the stuff around you. Your real joy is through Jesus Christ. So here's the context. So if we start reading in chapter 3, it says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcisions who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks that he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, uh, earth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and to the law, a Pharisee. As to seal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. 
So the first thing that Paul does here in chapter 3 is that he separates himself from his flesh. Paul refers to the circumcision as a mark of those considered the people of God, but Paul refuses to use, listen to this, the word in Greek, which is peritone, which is the circumcision, and instead he uses the word katatome, that means mutilation. So he switched the word to say, you're not being circumcised, you're not circumcised, you're mutilating, mutilating your flesh. He changed the meaning because they have used the circumcision to oppress, to tell others you are not part of it. The circumcision loses importance, value, purpose, and meaning when it is used on when we're used to elevate them, to separate them from others, diminishing the real meaning of it. Now they're just mutilating themselves. So Paul is doing, uh, what Paul is doing is separating himself from those who are in search of status, acceptance, or approval before God by following rituals and laws. The word peritome, it's used again in verse 3 in relations to Romans 2, 25, 29. Hear what Paul says in Romans, for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes in circumcision, uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keep the precept of the law, will not his incircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law for no one is a jew merely who uh, for no one is a jew who is merely one outwardly outwardly nor is circumcision outward and physical but a jew is one inwardly and the circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit not by the letter his praise is not from man, but from God. So we should delight in God. We should delight in the grace of Jesus, not look at ourselves like, oh, we're the chosen one. We got this. You know, these people outside, I got it. The term peritome in Greek refers to those who are heirs of the new covenant, the new covenantal people of God as recipients of God's promises. Second thing that Paul does is that separates himself from his heritage. Like, look what he says in verse, uh, verse 4. Though I must say have reasons to the confidence of the flesh also. And he started talking about, I am from them. 
I am part of them. I come from that line. A true Jew, when compared with others, such as proselytes who convert later in life, or an Ishmaelite who were circumcised at a later time. So he says, if you think that you are a Jew or a Hebrew, like the Bible puts it, I am. And then he compared himself to other Jews that were converted in a later time and the circumcision was later. He says, from a specific race, the people of Israel, from the tribe of Benjamin, one of the most important tribes in Israel, Hebrew of Hebrew. He's saying, I am a son of Hebrews. I mean, Paul wants to make sure that he's showing them that he has the caliber, the status, the rights that all false teachers listening to his letters are requiring from those Gentiles or Greeks who are now believers and seeking to honor God and to glory God. Paul is saying, I have it. I have it. But for Paul, his true joy comes from knowing Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross. Because his status and righteousness are not of human hands, but by the bloodshed of uh, Jesus in the cross. Now, what are the things that our ego are preventing the joy of Christ in our lives? Now, if we are all Gentiles, if we are now part of the adoption, what are the things that we're holding on to? that doesn't allow us to enjoy the life in Christ. Are you correct all the time? Are you telling people, no, I got it. I know how to do it. Are you not listening enough? I mean, I'm from, I'm, I'm from Israel. I know about the law. You're not going to tell me. I know. Is your position, financial capacity, lifting your body of the floor? Have you noticed people, you know, I like cars, you know, and I, when I see a car, um, like an expensive car, and people get out of the car, they look at the car like, I got this. It's a piece of metal with four wheels. That's it. And even if you look inside, you might find parts from, like if you go to a Jaguar, you look at a Jaguar engine, it has a bunch of Ford parts because Jaguar is part of Ford. And everybody thinks it's a Jaguar. No, it's, it's a elevated Ford. <laughs> That's it. So we are enjoying things that have a meaning but it has an earthly meaning and later we're going to talk about the heavens real joy is found outside of our accomplishments and it's only found in jesus now that's number one 
letting go of the ego, and that's the joy of humility, where we can enjoy God regardless of our, our status, our financial power, strength. The second one is let go of the guilt, the joy of forgiveness. In verse 12 of chapter 3, Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul here recognizes that he's far from acquiring all that it's necessary to be uh, a saint or for sanctity or to be a perfect imitator of God. But Paul has a goal. Now, look at the goal of Paul in verse 8. Go back to uh, verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, listen to the last part, in order that I may gain Christ. Paul is after gaining grace, gaining acceptance, gaining everything that Christ is giving us. He's not after what my neighbor thinks because I have a nice car on the driveway. Paul is not behind what people at work think of me when I arrive in a Mazda 81 GLC. I don't think they have those anymore. <laughs> right? So, what is Paul doing here? Verse 13, one thing I do forgetting now Paul is coming in this letter talking about his suffering talking about uh, false teachers right in this and he calls them dogs but we're not going to get into that but he's coming talking about Timothy Epaphroditus he's talking about all this but then he said forgetting what is he forgetting his suffering he's forgetting his uh, Israel status, he's losing all of it. Now, my question is, what is the thing that you need to forget? What, is, what are the things that you need to let go? Paul was a murderer of Christians. He persecuted and killed those who were followers of Jesus. Paul knows that he doesn't have it. We know that we don't have what it takes to be perfect, blameless. We have done too many things in life to deserve the grace of God. Our upbringing, the relationships that we destroy, damage. 
Our sins are too big. And Paul is saying, I'm forgetting all of that. I'm forgetting my sufferings. I'm forgetting whatever happened to me. Because I'm looking where? Forward. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now, question, does Paul know what's lying ahead? We don't know. But one thing we do, we rejoice in Christ because of what? Because it doesn't matter what happens. Because it doesn't matter what lies in front of us. We know that God is with us. We know that by the blood of Jesus, we are what? More than conquerors. So anything that might go on in our life, what do we do? We anchor ourselves in Jesus. Now, Paul might be here talking about leaving the suffering of the accolades to receive, ultimate, to receive the ultimate reward of being saved. As we read in verse 14, he says, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But I want to encourage you to pay attention at the things that are holding you back from enjoying what God is giving you now. What are the things that God is giving you now? That you may rejoice in his mercy, his mercy for you, your family, your children. Ask God for forgiveness. Give forgiveness, like forgive people. Forgetting what's behind and moving forward. Sometimes we need to forget people. We need to say, you know what? And move forward towards what God has prepared for you. Now, let's look at the uh, transition of Paul to the third point. Let God be my judge. The joy of righteousness. Now, let's look at verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame. With mindsets on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So here's the third thing that Paul's know. My righteousness doesn't depend on all the things that I can do and all the things that I possess. My righteousness doesn't depend on how much I know the law, how much Hebrew I am, how much uh, 
great things I have accomplished. But he's focused on a citizenship that only depends on the righteousness of God. Verse 18 provides a way of living or show a way of living of those who were living according to the flesh. These people, Paul says, they walk as enemies of Christ. Why? Because Jesus, because the crucified Jesus, it's all about humbling himself, leaving behind all that he was so that others, we, we're not that far away, we're here. So that we would be able to achieve a greater reward. The reward was already established. If you look in verse 19, it gives us the characteristics of those enemies of God. Their God is their belly. It's referring to a lifestyle of greediness, where I feel full for all the stuff that I have, all the stuff that I can do, all the things that I can pay for, all the things that satisfy me. It's explained here in that phrase, in their belly. Their God is their belly, the fullness. They glory in their shame. They focus not on the upward call of God, but on their own goals. They are their own gods. Doesn't that sound like these days? Like we, we use the I. Oh, I can do this. Or I can do that. And you take a photo. If you do it, it's okay, but I'm just saying. You take a selfie and you expect everybody in the media to say, oh, you look great. And you color your hair or you change your hairstyle. Or you do something and you expect people to, I don't know, what, what are you looking for, validation? What are we looking for? The other day, let me say this, this came to mind. So the other day we were on a, on a family party and I was shaving and I told my wife, I'm going to leave my mustache. <laughs> I look crazy. It was black and I left it and I got there and everybody was looking at me. Nobody said anything. <laughs> Until my sister-in-law, she'll say something. <laughs> she came up, she looked at me, he said, what's up, Ted Lasso? <laughs> and I'm like, what? So I started looking, Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso. <laughs> so what are we doing? Are we looking for attention? <laughs> they have become their own gods. Their minds set on earthly, earthly things Again, focus on what they can do, or what they can achieve. But why do we, or how we uh, rejoice in our belonging? We belong to a city that is not earthly. We are citizens of the heavens. Paul in verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, 
We belong to the family of God. And this is because Jesus Christ has made us righteous so we can stand in front of God and to be heirs of his kingdom. We can celebrate, you and I can celebrate because we are part of the promise that one day we will be transformed from what? It says it's there. Our lowly bodies, like we're not that big of a deal. But we'll be transformed to be like him. And the only reason and the only way for that is through Jesus. It's not a thing that we can do. It is not because you come from this family or that family. Not because you received several PhDs. Not because you were a good person. I keep hearing this. All right, I'm, 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 I'm a great person. <sighs> Me too. <laughs> that doesn't mean that doesn't mean you are following Christ. But here's the interesting phrase. Look at the last part of the uh, verse 21. By the power that enables him even to what? Subject all things to himself. My joy, and I hope that your joy, is because Jesus is over everything. He sustains everything. He holds everything. So it doesn't matter what happens. If everything is subject to him, I'm good. Conclusion. So why do you rejoice in Christ? What is your joy? How are you being strengthened by knowing that God sustains you? We rejoice because by humility, we are saved from ourselves. Not focusing on us, but focusing on the one that can make something out of us. We rejoice because by his grace, we are forgiven from our past and we are capable of forget others in our past and to move forward with our eyes in Christ. There's only one goal, is Christ. When you're at the track and you're in the line and you're waiting for the, you know, the lights, you got the pre-stage, stage, three greens, uh, three yellows and a green. The only thing you're looking at is the end of the track. You're not looking at the walls. You're not looking at anybody. You're looking. I got to make sure this thing goes straight to touch that line back there. And you're sitting there thinking, well, here we go. Here we go. Now, anything can go. If you're at the track, anything can happen. I don't know. Oil. Gets in the back tires, hitting the wall, flipping a couple of times. Um, 
I was at the track one day with my brother. He went sideways, and I was recording, and I, as soon as I saw the car going sideways, I lowered the phone. I couldn't record anymore. I'm looking, and I know it's going to hit the wall. So he hit the wall. He stops, and I start running to the car. I mean, it was not even the 1,000 foot. It was just out of the 60 foot. It was close. But the hit was so hard. Wheels bend, rear end shift, the whole thing. So when you're standing there, let, let, let me bring it here. When you are in front of a situation, you know what you need to do? Focus on God. Focus on Jesus. We are going to hit the wall, people. We are going to go sideways sometimes. It doesn't matter how prepared you are. It doesn't matter all the stuff you have ready. I got this. No, we don't. No, we don't have it. So we rejoice in the grace of Jesus. We rejoice because the righteousness of Jesus has given us the ability to stand before God as innocents and as clean people. I hope that your life is resting only in the joy of Jesus Christ. The only way and the only truth. God bless you. It's been great. And I love you people.